Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is the great Prashant Iyer. And today we're going to spend the show talking about the World Juniors, 2021 World Juniors. Uh, seven Red Wings prospects participating, including five for Team Sweden. The tournament has begun, but it's still very early. Su- team Sweden, or as Prashant has referred to him, Team Junior Red Wings. Uh, only one game in, so we just wanted to spend some time today doing a little preview, a little overview of the tournament, expectations, and what we've seen so far. So Prashant, uh, one game in, what has stood out to you from the tournament and, and from Team Sweden, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, I guess one game in for most of these teams, uh, I think the biggest thing that stands out is, man, there is a talent gap between the top teams and the bottom teams. Yep. Uh, I mean, between watching Sweden's first game against the Czech Republic and then watching... Uh, you know, Canada and then the U.S. go. There is a clear pecking order in, in, for these teams right now, and and I mean Sweden, even though their their goal count isn't as impressive as Canada's sixteen, I think the way they played against the Czech Republic, I mean, putting up over forty shots against them, and you know what was still a competitive game after the first period in that one. I think it was one one um, at that point in time. I mean. It was a. I thought it was an overall very impressive performance, and you had to be happy as a Wings fan uh, seeing uh, every single player get on the score sheet. Yeah, I mean that that first period, like you mentioned, really would have been Sweden. They didn't get an exhibition game because they had kind of an additional quarantine period imposed by um, you know their extra COVID close contacts, and so maybe getting their legs under them a little bit. But but in terms of a 7-1 to win over a team in the Czech Republic that, you know, Germany, I think, had they been at full strength with Moritz Seider and Lukas Reichel is obviously a, a, a pretty strong team. But I would say Czech Republic, a, a, you know, half a head above uh, Germany or Austria, maybe even a little more than that. Um, so I, I thought that that was uh, still a pretty convincing win for Team Sweden. It was a little... Uh, disheartening watching the other two games and the u.s and canada blowouts i mean uh i don't know what the right answer is there i don't think you're supposed to let up or anything like that i think you know i've been on the wrong end of a lot of those hockey games in my life and uh really there's no outcome that feels good so i i I do uh recognize the difficult position they're in but man that got a little uncomfortable watching toward the end there i think i'm trying to remember when i turned it off um it might have been somewhere in the second period where there was like a sequence where I think Canada scored maybe on like four or five successive shots. I think it was it went from four one to nine one really, really yeah. quickly. Um, in fact, I don't even think the discourse had finished on 
you know, how that fourth goal from Canada got allowed. And then you looked up at the scoreboard and it's basically nine to one at that point. And you're like, I'm not really sure what to do, what to do at this point. So, you know, that game was definitely uncomfortable to to watch. But, you know, truth be told, the, the funny part about it was I thought Canada was not as impressive in the sense of how much they dominated the puck. Because, I mean, obviously you're talking about a German team that's, you know, in a back to back situation, 14 skaters uh, significantly undermanned with even if they had a full complement of players, um, you know, compared to at least the way the U.S. Uh, played in their later game against Austria. Uh, I think the U.S. ended up finishing with almost 90 shot attempts or a little more than that in the 60 minute game, which is just an incredible amount. Um, and I thought the offensive display looked really, really nice there. So but I think these by far, you know, the U.S., Sweden and, and Canada have thus far looked the three best teams, in my opinion. I'd throw Russia in there. I I picked Russia to win the tournament. Um, I don't know how foolhardy that was. I just think uh, between the goaltending and the way that they play, I thought they looked awesome under Larionov uh, in that first game against the U.S., really aggressive PK and and just an imposing team. Askarov didn't even play that good in the game. Um, He was good, but he wasn't unbelievable. And I think he has unbelievable in him, obviously. So I I think if if you get that game from him at the right time, much like happened to the you know, ridiculously stacked USA U18 team a couple years ago. He absolutely stole a game from them and, and, and brought uh, Russia to the final. If he can get that game against Canada or something, I don't see a reason that Russia can't um, win it. So that that's my pick after a little rambling there. But yeah, I, I think uh, the US certainly looked awesome last night. And, you know, it's hard to know against Austria how much to stock to put in that because Austria was uh, in many ways just well 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 over or underneath what they are over their head under in in over their head uh even marco rossi was not noticeable last night and that's purely because how can you be when you when your team barely has the puck and you're spending the whole game trying to get out of the zone yeah i mean you're talking about a team that's gonna have you know really marco rossi and and maybe at best a couple other guys crack an nhl roster um, and you're talking about a team that is almost entirely composed of NHL prospects in, in, yeah. in the U.S. So, you know, I think it's it's a huge challenge. It's a huge stepping stone. But I think for them, you know, you don't want to say this like I, I don't want this to come across as almost like disparaging of them. But it's similar to how Germany made the tournament a couple of years ago. You're really encouraged by the signs. I mean, Austria has not been a consistent participant in these world, yeah. you know, in the Group A tournament. So just being able to get back to this level, being able to see Marco Rossi play you know, for them, I think is really exciting. And hopefully it continues to drive, uh, you know, more and more Austrian hockey participation. And maybe you get more and more of these guys, um, you know, competing that allows this team to stay in, in the top level of the world juniors. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's kind of always a conversation of, well, if, if there's going to be games that are 16 to two or 11 to zero, you know, is it really, should there really be 10 teams in the tournament? But I think what you're speaking to right there is, is the best reason for, for there to be 10 teams, which is that ultimately the point of the world juniors, as much as anything, certainly as much as it is to put on a good TV product is to grow the game in all these places where there's talent. And you have that by having big events. And even if there's, you know, every team has to take one on the chin from Canada or the U S at various points, you know, I, I expect, you know, Austria to be able to play a competitive game with, you know, Slovakia, Finland's not the kind of team that's going to run up a giant goal total on you, really. So Switzerland, 
Now, these are the other teams in, in their group, and they're going to play competitive games, and that's going to be good for the sport because you never know who that kid is, who that athlete is that you're going to convince to put on a pair of hockey skates and grab a stick rather than, you know, grab a pair of skis or something. And and that's what it's all about. You find a star that way. And uh, I would say that a 16 to two blowout is more than worth it. Yeah. I mean, and absolutely the, one of the other fun parts to all of this is when you do see those moments where those teams that are not as heralded are able to step up and, and get that victory. I mean, you know, for Red Wings fans, I think a lot of people became intimately familiar with Peter Morazic and the way he played in the World Juniors um, in the Czech Republic. I mean, there was that incredible game. I believe it was against the U.S., if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, what is it now? Eight years ago or something like that in the World Juniors where he just absolutely stood on his head and he was coming out celebrating down. I mean, it's those moments like that where you're able to see uh, you know, those teams really take the next step. You know, there's the Swiss goalie from a couple years ago that had an outstanding performance against Canada, really was able to keep them in that game. So those are the other moments that you get to really see these young kids put out, you know, put on their best, uh, even in circumstances where maybe they're they're not able to necessarily match the same talent as the other big teams. Yeah, I mean, how, how many Red Wings fans last year fell in love with the idea of drafting Lucas Reichel, J.J. Paterka, obviously Tim Stutzla, because they were watching all these guys while watching Moritz Sider at last year's tournament. Now, the Red Wings ended up passing on Paterka. The other two were gone before they picked. I thought Paterka actually looked pretty good yesterday, even in a 16-2 to loss. He had a goal. He, he looked pretty good to me. Yeah, I mean, he was a he's been one of Germany's kind of better players. I mean, him and Stutzler are the real deal, I think, uh, and that's been exciting to see. And you know, you sort of wish that Moritz Sider uh, had been able to go over and play in that just to see what Germany could do, um, and 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 that would have been a lot of fun because they were so much fun to watch yeah. last year, and and with how competitive they were at home in basically every game. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So. That's where things are at uh, early on in the tournament. It looks like Canada, the U.S., both going to have good teams. It looks like Sweden's going to have a good team. And that's the team that I want to spend the most time on today for obvious reasons. I mean, that's the team where uh, you got Lucas Raymond, the most recent fourth overall pick in the draft. You've got Theodore Niederbach, a second rounder from last year's draft. Albert Johansson, a second rounder or from this year's draft. Sorry, this Albert Johansson, a second rounder from last year's draft. And then a pair of sixth rounders from 2019, Gustav Berglund and Elmer Suderblom. Uh, Berglund doesn't play in game one. We'll see how regularly he's able to crack the lineup throughout the tournament. I'm sure we'll see him at least once, you'd think. Uh, but Soderblom, kind of one of the uh, storylines of of Sweden's first game. He gets a goal and an assist. And the goal is going to be uh, in the conversation among the top three or four goals of the tournament by the time it's all said and done, between the legs one assisted by Raymond. I mean, that's insane, right? You're talking about a six-foot-eight dude who was able to, in one motion, yep. with a defender on his back, pull that puck through his legs and flip a top shelf on the far side. Like That's just insane hands for a guy that big to move the puck that quick with a defender on his back. I think that's really, really impressive skill. And, and honestly, uh, you know, J.D. Burke uh, over at Elite Prospects had a great article talking about Soderblom's goal, um, you know, penned it along with Christopher Hedlund and talked to the Team Sweden coach. Uh, so if Red Wings fans, you know, check that out because this is a kid where I think you and I talked a little bit. He was not the, like, quintessential big power forward player. No. This was a guy who had soft hands, you know, very good in front of the net, but kind of struggled to put all the tools together. He didn't really have the skating that you would expect, although he was a good skater at his size. He didn't have 
really that in you know overall hockey sense that you're looking for. But in just you know a couple of years, this guy's made huge strides forward to where he is a big piece of this team and is potentially you know going to vie for some more SHL time this year and and be a guy that you know can go from six round pick to a potential NHL player. And that's what you're looking for if you're the Red Wings. You're looking for these guys that you get uh, that are outside that first round, outside the top 10, outside the top 15. These are the guys that if they, you know, consistently outperform their draft slot, those are the guys that get you back uh, to contention a lot sooner rather than later. Yeah, Soderblom to me has always been very interesting because, you know, first of all, this is not new for him to do something like this. Uh, You know, he, he had... I think more than a point and a half per game or so in the U20 league for for Lunda last year. He's yet to score though in an SHL play. And so what I thought was interesting about this tournament was, okay, we've seen him dominate against U20 players in Sweden. Can he do the same things against the best U20 players in the world? Um, we still haven't seen that yet. We're going to see him against Canada and against the US. And I think that's going to tell us a lot. Um, but early returns are that, yeah, he, he does seem to know how to use his body to, to protect the puck and to hold on to it along the boards. He obviously, like you saw yesterday, has the hands to be a nuisance at the net. And I think that's really interesting. My, you know, Corey, Corey Proman has written this before that, that the question are, you know, does he have the feet to play in the NHL? Um, that, I think that's a fair question. And I don't think I saw anything yesterday that would kind of resolve it. Um, I, you know, I do think though, when you're that big, as long as you're going to compete really hard, you, you can have a little bit of an advantage in that you can impact the games in ways that very few people can when you can make a move like that at the front of the net and not be pushed off the puck. So you look at like a Michael Rasmussen, I think you can make kind of a similar point about him. He's, he's not someone who you'd be confident in his skating, but if you can make a huge impact at the front of the net, there's very few other players who can do that and you can carve a place that way. I'm not going to say that Elmer Soderblom is the is is Michael Rasmussen. Michael Rasmussen is a top ten pick, and we can debate and probably agree that that was a reach at this point. But um, or or at least he was, you know, he's probably not going to deliver that value. Um, but I I think if you can get a guy like Soderblom who can play in that mold, and maybe someday you're working him in even regularly to the lineup. If if your top two power plays someday have Michael Rasmussen and Elmer Soderblom at the net front, you become a massive matchup problem in a hurry. Now, that's only a small segment of the game. In most games, you're probably only playing four to eight minutes on the power play, which means only four to eight, four to you know two to four minutes for a given player on the power play. But you hold your own enough. You, you show what you can do in the offensive zone, and you have the makings of a true prospect. It's not a high-impact necessarily prospect, but it's a prospect. And not just in terms of someone whose rights you hold, but someone who legitimately has the physical skill set and has put it on tape a little bit now that, that they could translate to the NHL. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I think that you, you bring up a fascinating point because a lot of a lot of the talk for Red Wings fans um, between Rasmussen and now shifting to Soderblom has been getting that guy that's really good in front of the net on the power play. And, you know, I almost wonder if as Red Wings, uh, you know, commentators and thinking about the fan base, have we become a little too enamored with the net front guy on the power play? Were we just spoiled? Right. Were you spoiled with 25 years between watching Thomas Holmstrom, the best to ever do it, (laughs) Johan Franzen and Todd Bertuzzi? I mean, these are three of the probably arguably top 10 guys to ever play in front of the net. But you look at some of the best power plays in the NHL. Who's who plays net front for Washington? Yeah, doesn't matter. Right? No <laughs> yeah. one does because yeah. they're actually so good at moving the puck. And you look at some of these other great power plays that have been happening, they don't really rely on the net front guy. I mean, I actually think the net front position is sort of quote unquote dying off huh. really since Ryan Smith retired uh for Edmonton. I just don't think that that's as high of a value and I almost wonder if you know, Red Wings fans tend to become enamored with that because that was the most successful Red Wings power play. But really, it was one of the smartest net front players ever, Thomas Holmstrom, coupled with probably the smartest power play quarterback ever in Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. And, you know, so you put those two pieces together and go, yeah, that definitely works. But those are also two of the greatest to ever do it. Um, you know, and Soderblom, I think, is different than the the quintessential guy that goes in front of the net. Yeah. He's not just there to screen the guy. I think if you go back and you watch that play, he actually makes the puck retrieval, passes it off. Um, and he's kind of in the high slot at that point. And he actually weaves back behind the defense and then puts his stick out to create a passing lane that's actually, and you know, because of his size at six foot eight, I mean, his stick's almost on the goal line. So he's able to create an open passing lane for Raymond to find. Again, this was the play that Nick Lidstrom would do all the time. Holmstrom would stick his stick out, Lidstrom would shoot for the stick, and, you know, Holmstrom would be able to tip it in. But that's what happened here is Raymond finds the stick. And then in one motion, Soderblom can use his size and strength to actually bring that across the net. So maybe this is the guy that can be successful. It's not just the body that you're putting in front of the net, but a guy that has a lot of IQ, knows how to create those passing lanes, and potentially can make Detroit's power play successful. But I just sort of wonder if we overemphasize that in Detroit because you have had three of the greatest to do it in the last 25 years. I think it's a really good point. I really do. I mean, it's you, you make a good point. And right now, Detroit's best net front guy, I think you can make a case, is Tyler Bertuzzi. And the way that he does it is not just by standing there and being a big body. It's by tipping pucks or getting in lanes or just moving around. And, um, you know, he's a great puck tipper. There's no doubt the value of that. But um, it, it's not always right at the toe of the crease. Sometimes it's high up and, and, and you get the redirect. And that is valuable from wherever it happens. So... I think you make a very good point. And we should also point out Soderblom had on his assist, to your point, was not something that was near the net near the net. It was he was coming up the side of the wall. He made a little play with Philip Broberg. Uh, and that ends up being Theodore Niederbach's goal on, on the rebound. So um I I think you're right. I think that, you know, the, the net front thing is very appealing, and maybe we in the orbit of the Red Wings uh, have been kind of conditioned a little bit to see the net front as a a must-have on every contending team when that you know, I'm trying to think who's the net front on the Canucks power play. I, I, I would, I guess, assume it's Bo Horvat or something, but 
I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if it is Bo Horvat, I mean, I haven't watched enough of the Canucks to really comment on who it yeah. is. I mean, Bo Horvat is very different yeah. as a player yeah. in front of the net, right? That is a very highly intelligent player who is not likely just standing there screening shots. Uh, you know, so you think about Boston's power play, who plays net front for Boston. Well, sometimes it's Zdeno Chara. Um, and, you know, but he'll move. But really what makes Boston so lethal is how they form that triangle from the guy who actually sits behind the goal line and then only transiently comes in front of the net. And so I think if you just go and think about the best power plays, that net front guy is not an essential guy in the sense that he's not always parked in front of the net, but has the ability to drift out, create passing lanes, and make those plays to the slot when needed. And potentially that's what Soderblom can be. Um, and that's what you're really looking for if you're Detroit, not necessarily the guy that stands in front of the net and screens the goalie. Yeah, every every power play needs a quarterback. Perhaps every power play doesn't need a tight end, so to speak, I guess. Exactly right. Yeah, there you go. But I think that is where it comes into play that I, I do think Soderblom has shown that he's capable of using his body to play off his hands. And so he can protect the puck until he's in position to make the skill play um, and drive the net. And so I think that's ultimately as important as anything. Um, and we'll have to see how he continues to progress. Can he get any smoother? I mean, I don't think he's that choppy looking. I just don't think he's that fast. And, and you know, that's a conversation that is constantly happening in hockey. How important is speed? How do you judge good, great, acceptable skating? These are things that you talk about all the time that I'm warming up to more and more that, um, there is more to this than stopwatches and, and, you know, kind of assessing how smooth someone is. So, yeah, uh, totally agree. And I mean, if you, again, you go back and you look at a guy like Thomas Holmstrom, he's probably the choppiest skater that you've ever seen. I think if you go and you listen to Scotty Bowman talk about his skating, it's just like, he didn't even know how this guy was going to be in the NHL. And, and so you can definitely be successful. And I think Soderblom is, is showing some of those features that are necessary to make him valuable outside of the power play. You know, yes, the game got away from, uh, you know, the Czech Republic, and, and, and that's why Sweden was able to walk away 7-1. But Soderblom ended up playing the, the fourth most minutes amongst forwards for Sweden, uh, right really behind just that top line of Holtz, Raymond, uh, and Sundsvisk. So, you know, he, he was trusted by his coaching staff. Again, it's a blowout game, and maybe that's why he got more minutes. But he was trusted to play the fourth most minutes, and maybe we are going to see more and more strides from him uh, in areas that are not just the power play. What'd you notice about Lucas Raymond? He was on the ice, you know, 15, 16 minutes or so, it seemed like, uh, mostly with Alexander Holtz. Obviously, they didn't have Carl Hendrickson, who has been their international center as long as I can remember watching for so, you know, a year and a half, not that long. But um, what'd you think of, of, of what he put on, on tape yesterday? You know, I think people are going to look at, at Raymond's stat sheet and be like, man, you know, it's a 7-1 game and you walk away with one assist and, and that's a little disappointing. I think Raymond was actually fantastic from a scoring chance opportunity and, and really, you know, shots generated. I think if you look at Mitch Brown's tracking, Mitch Brown is a guy who, uh, again, writes for elite prospects, does a lot of player tracking. Um, and one of the things he does is he actually calculates expected goals and expected primary assists to generate this expected primary points um, for these players. And if you look at Lucas Raymond uh, in that game, he was had the second most expected goals in that game at just about uh, 0.6, just over 0.6 expected goals per game um, in that sense. And so he was only behind what his teammate Kosmar, uh, who was just about 0.7. So, you know, he was definitely getting the chances. He was getting dangerous scoring chances. I think at one point I kind of noticed he almost looked frustrated that he wasn't able to do a little bit more. 
but he was generating a lot of opportunities with his shot, actually more so than his passing. And really his passing is what ends up on the score sheet with the assist to, to Soderblom. So I, I'm not concerned whatsoever with him. I thought he looked really, really solid overall. Yeah, I thought he was good. I mean, he he, he ran the power play. You could see that it went through him. You know, at, at five on five, you see, you know, he had a couple of skill. There's a skill play he, he had on a break with Holtz that the pass just didn't get through that very likely ends in a goal if it gets through the skate. Um, you know, there's a good back check that, that I saw someone clipped and put on Twitter if you're looking for it. But yeah, watching it the whole way, he seemed like one of their best players. And that's what you wanted to see. Uh, I think there were a couple moments that maybe could have resulted in points that didn't. Uh, and I don't know that that really matters. I thought he was, I thought he was good. Yeah. I mean, that, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the score sheet isn't going to be the tell all here. I mean, you've obviously had a lot of people having discourse about Canada scoring 16 goals and Byfield, you know, getting one assist and things like that. Look at the end of the day, I think as long as the player's game looks good, they're competing, they're making the right plays. Not everything's going to end up in a goal. That's why we try to measure the quality of chances that players continue to generate so that we can see that they're doing things the right way. And I think if you look at that for Raymond's game, even though the goal didn't show up, he had a lot of good chances. He played well. He carried the puck well. You know, I, he had seven zone entries, five of which were controlled. That was the best success rate for anyone on his team. So, he, you know, he looked Good. He looked like the player you were expecting to get, the guy that's going to be a transition two-way monster. Yeah, yep. I would say that's right. And it would have been interesting to see Theodore Niederbach uh, in that role on his line, but en- ended up being Niederbach's line with Soderblom was probably one of Sweden's best lines anyway. And Niederbach actually looked a little bigger than I guess I realized. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, we've been saying this since draft day, Theodore Niederbach is a player. I think, you know, we talked about it a lot when... Uh, He was drafted that he was maybe a little overlooked because of his missed year with the knee injury. But I mean, he's he's a solid player. And yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought, you know, granted, everybody looks small next to Soderblom, but he didn't look tiny. I mean, he's listed, you know, anywhere from 5'11 to uh, being 170 ish pounds or so. But I thought he looked like he put on a little bit of muscle, uh, looked stronger and and maybe playing with some confidence. uh, since he's gotten some games in with the SHL uh, for Lunda team. Yeah, and 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 we'll see as, as the tournament goes on. I mean, Sweden's next game is against Austria, the team that the U.S. just put up 11 on. So for those of you who are really hungry for the stats, I guess that's probably your opportunity. But I'm actually most interested to see these guys against the U.S. and against Russia, against uh, the best of their age group, against the guys who they were drafted against and, and who they're going to be measured against ultimately in the NHL. I mean, Trevor Zegras to me, looked outstanding uh, against Austria. And that has not that much to do with the fact that he had, whatever, two goals and two assists. But the goals and the assists themselves were on remarkable plays, the kind of plays that I think, you know, maybe you can't do them every game in the NHL, but I don't see a reason Trevor Zegers can't make some of those passes or even some of those pinpoint shots with, with you know, occasional regularity in the NHL and their NHL-level plays. Yeah, Zegers, I think, far and away has been one of the most fantastic players to watch. I mean, he was fantastic last year as yeah, well. Yep, I mean, this was. guy, this guy's just outstanding. He's an outstanding hockey player. Uh, you know, I think when you watch him play, you almost walk away with the idea of like, how did he see that pass? Yeah. Like if you gave me the location of everybody and gave me 30 minutes to study it and 
to figure out who was going to be open in the next three seconds. I wouldn't figure it out. And this guy's doing it on the fly, knowing exactly where to put that puck. I mean, you know, I don't want to throw the comparison out lightly, but it's a little bit like Datsuki in passing in the sense that you would just, Datsuk would move the puck in a manner where you just never knew what to expect. And then all of a sudden the puck was on someone's stick for for a goal. I mean, Brett Hall said it best in in Datsuk's rookie year that all I had to do was keep my stick on the ice and he was going to find me. And so you almost feel that way when you're watching Zegers play with some of these teammates. It's just keep your stick on the ice and and he's going to find you and he's going to find you uh, in great scoring opportunities. So he's a heck of a player. My my big question watching him is do his teammates know when there when these things are coming because sometimes there's a play and it'll be along the boards and you're like okay there's maybe two or three guys you could try to get this to or you can just rim it around and then out comes the pass on a line to a wide open guy tape to tape basically and it's like man these things are coming like you know they're coming fast do the teammates know they're coming and you know it seems they must because they usually manage to convert on them or do something with the puck it's you know, you, you build up a healthy skepticism when you're watching prospects to know that, okay, it can't be that most guys are going to, you know, make it. And especially the guys who are, um, you know, they rely on, you know, things that with harder competition, it gets harder to pull off, like those cross ice passes, whatnot, high skill plays, better defenders just tend to, to do better stopping those plays. So you build up a skepticism and... I have to say, I think Trevor Zegers has has whittled away at the last skepticism anyone could really have had for him at this point because he's setting up the plays. He's not just taking what's given. He's manipulating guys to create these absurd lanes that I don't think anyone on the ice really can see. And then he makes you pay for it. And I think he's got a lot of star power, both in his style of play, uh, in his quality, obviously, and kind of in his personality. So. I think we're going to be saying the name Zegris for for a long time. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think I would not be shocked if in 20 years we're throwing him in the in the Joe Thornton Pavel Datsuk bucket of you Great know the passers, best passers yeah. that have played in in the last little bit here because he he is that good and and you know the it, it's just kind of funny you just have to get used to playing with your stick right on the ice knowing that that puck can come to you at any moment. I mean. Uh, you know, that Brett Hull quote I'm alluding to is if you go back, there's a game where Detroit's playing against St. Louis in the uh, 2002 Stanley Cup playoffs. And in one motion, the, the puck is in the in the in the corner and Datsuk literally picks the defender stick in one motion and passes the puck to the front of the net. And Shanahan's like putting a slap shot in the net. And you're just like that. That all happened in the span of 0.5 seconds. And if right. you were not knowing that that puck could come to you, you were not going to have your stick on the ice. And it's like. You got to have that same feeling with Zegers that you just don't know when it's going to come, but it's coming to you and you better be ready. Yep. Yep. So Anaheim's got a good one there. I'm sure our producer Danielle uh, is happy listening to this as we uh, extol the virtues of Trevor Zegers. Um, let's talk about some of the other Detroit guys in the tournament. So um, Berglund obviously hasn't played yet. Um, we think maybe he'll, we'd, we'd expect to see him at least once sometime in the tournament. And then the other two guys you got are Jan Bednar don't know if we'll see him for the Czech Republic. He was not the first guy. Uh, he was not the, the starting goalie against the U or against Sweden. Um, and he actually, the, the the guy who I expected to start was was Park, and he he was not the starter either. So uh, it's possible that Bednar is the third goalie there, and and if so, probably not the best odds that we will see him at any point in the tournament, uh, barring something weird. And then there's Emil Vero, who I've only caught about a period of his play so far. Um, just haven't been able to 
be watching TV at the time that his games are on, but I'm hoping to to obviously get some longer looks at him as this tournament plays out. Uh, have you seen, I mean, I think he's playing right now. Have you seen much of him? Yeah, I haven't honestly seen a whole lot of him. I mean, he's obviously the game Finland and Switzerland's going on right now. You know, they're in this uh, in the third period as we're recording this, and he's played about 11 minutes and is plus one in that thus far. So, you know, I can't say that I've seen a ton of his game to to really comment intelligently. I think my focus has mostly been on uh, yeah. Team uh, Sweden, obviously, in, in, in the short amount of time. But, you know, he's a guy who has, again, had a solid start to uh, his campaign and, and – you know, looking to build on this with a good world juniors. I think Finland definitely is going to trust him to play big minutes uh, for them. You know, if you look at the Finnish defense, uh, I think he's going to be right there with uh, Vili Hainola really being the guy playing ahead of him. But if you look at that first game, I think he was second in minutes behind Hainola, and that's ahead of guys like Topi Nimala, who got drafted this year, Miko Kakinen, who got drafted last year. So uh, good trust early on, and I guess, I guess we'll just have to keep watching. And again, I think the disclaimer with him is you're not necessarily looking for him to stuff the score sheet. Yeah. Um, That's not his game. Uh, What you're looking for is him to play big minutes without stuff going in while he's on the ice. Uh, You're going to look for those more subtle defensive plays. You're going to look for the angles he takes. You're going to look at his stick positioning. You're going to watch how he transitions uh, his skating from, you know, defense to offense, offense to defense. You're going to want to pay attention to those keys because he's not the guy that's going to stuff the stat sheet for you. And you're really looking for those things specifically against Canada. Finland's group just is not all that strong. It's Switzerland, Germany, uh, Slovakia is the rest of their group. You, you expect Finland to handle business against the rest of those teams. Obviously, if, if it if it stands out really badly the other way, that matters. Um, but you're really looking to see Vero and how he handles you know, Dylan Cousins, Alex Newhook, Peyton Krebs, this this Quinton Byfield, um, this star-studded Canada roster. You're going to see that in the preliminary round. And then, obviously, in the quarters, whoever they go up against there. So um, I second what you said. And, and I think, you know, just in, the, in what I've seen him so far, he looks to me like, like a pretty strong skater. And that seems like something that's going to be a good asset for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with Prashant. You're looking here to see the, the transition. Is he able to keep play out of his own end and, and get it out of there when it does drift down there? I, I think that's ultimately the key. And, and also on Team Finland, I think we should note um, one of the top 2022 draft players is Brad Lambert. He's on Team Finland. He's got a couple of assists so far today. Uh, I think he just got a primary one. So, yeah, he and he and Nimala have, have co-assisted a couple of goals here for Finland today. So. Um, he's one to watch. If if you're looking for the future, 2022, I know everybody's got hard eyes for Shane Wright, and uh, and I think that's perfectly fair. But uh, you know, Brad Lambert's right, th- one of those guys right there at the top of the draft too, and and worth familiarizing yourself uh, ahead of time. Yeah, Lambert is not a bad consolation prize. Let me put it that way. When you're a 16 year old playing in Liga, that is a uh, that is a strong start. So not a bad consolation prize whatsoever if that's how it lands in 2022. So I talked about my prediction for the tournament with Team Russia. Do you want to give uh, medal predictions and then uh, you know your, maybe your, your rough projections for some of the Red Wings prospects in this tournament? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I have a hard time going against Canada here. Yep. I think... They look, they just look so deep, and and you go, yeah, they they just lost Kirby Doc to that uh, injury, but you know you take him away, and then you go put up 16 goals. Granted, it's against the, yeah, it's a weekend German team on a back to back that's kind of gassed, but 
they they just look dominant. I have a hard time picking against them. I'm actually really hoping we can get a Canada U.S. Uh, gold medal game. Uh, you know that I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think the bronze to me is a is somewhat of a toss up between Sweden and Russia. I, I do really like Sweden's uh, game this far. I think they have the potential. You know, offensively, I think they're a little deeper than than Russia, and I think. Really, Sweden's defense is really, really yeah, good. I love their you know, line. we we talked about Berglund maybe getting a game, but a game might be all when you look at how deep Sweden is on the back end. Uh, you know, especially with Victor Soderstrom kind of leading the way. I mean, Soderstrom is is looking really, really smooth as well. But in addition, you've got obviously Tobias Bjornfot, um, the Kings. You got Emil Andre. You got Philip Broberg. You know, this is a really, really solid group. In addition to Albert Johansson, so. Uh, but the X factor is going to be Askarov. It and you know if he can steal the game for Russia, that's how you get the bronze. And if he can't, then I think I'm going to go with Sweden there. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service. Required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So you like the U.S. to to make the championship game? I do. I think, you know, if they can get the goaltending from Spencer Knight, he didn't look great the first game. Sure. Uh, And Dustin Wolf obviously didn't have much of a challenge in the second game. But if they can get goaltending from Spencer Knight, I do I do really like their offensive firepower. I think their offense is enough to get them to the the gold medal game. I know it's not a popular pick, but uh you know, I think a lot of people have kind of settled on Canada, Russia, Sweden, but I, I really do think this US team, when they have all the pieces going together, they can be really, really difficult to stop offensively. The reason I didn't pick him to medal is twofold. Number one, I, I agree with you. I, I like Spencer Knight. I think he'll bounce back. I don't think I'm I'm not worried at all about uh a few goals given up to Russia in that first game. Uh, my worries there are the blue line and the offensive depth. And I know they have good players throughout the lineup. You know, your, your bottom line still have high draft picks, Bobby Brink. Um, I actually think Berard's looked pretty good so far in the tournament. 
Um, but I just think if, if you can, if, if opposing teams and, and the farther they go, the, the easier this gets for opposing teams can to match up with the Zegers line and the Boldy Caulfield line. I think if you can take those two lines out of it, I think you can beat the U S with two or three goals and you're probably never taken, you know, Zegers or Caulfield or Boldy, you know, completely out of the game. Alex Turcott, I think Matt Beniers has looked really good so far. Um, but if you can get the right matchups on those guys, if Russia can throw the put coals in line at them, you know, Canada can really throw any line at them and it, it can be a scoring line and a, a solid defensive line. Um, I, I think you can steal a game against them. And I think Sweden's blue line just, you know, has the potential to do something like that. You throw the Raymond Holtz line out there against the Zegers line. Well, for one, I'm going to watch every second of that, uh, eyes glued <laughs> to the TV. It's going to be great hockey, but I also think you maybe have the recipe, to pull the carpet out from underneath the U.S. So that's why I picked against them, but I agree with you. And I think they have the second best goalie in the tournament. And that, as we know, in any small sample size event can be the deciding factor entirely. So um, I don't think it's impossible or anything like that for the U.S. to frankly win gold if they, if they get on the right, the right, uh, the right side of the bracket and have, and have the right run for those, you know, those few important games. I just couldn't quite get myself to pick them in the first run through Let, let's talk though about some of the red wings um prospects specifically final scoring projections for lucas raymond yeah i think raymond uh probably comes in at a point per game pace i think that's what you'll see unless he really lights up the score sheet here uh in this next game against austria i think he'll come in at about a point per game pace uh, maybe a little bit better than that so if you're talking you know maybe nine points in seven games something along those lines I think that would be a really solid showing from him because, again, I'm not necessarily worried about whether or not the guy puts up five points in a game. I'm worried about is he playing really solid two-way hockey? Is he the focus point on his line for zone entries? Is he very difficult to play against defensively? I think that's what I care about you know, from him as opposed to kind of taking himself out of position to go for scoring chances. So you know, looking in the, in the range of kind of 1 to 1.3 points per game, somewhere in that range, uh, is what I would expect to see from Lucas Raymond the rest of the way. I think I'm right there with you. I think uh, certainly I'm sure Red Wings fans are going to want him to put up, you know, 10, 11 points and in seven games, I, you know, it, it could happen, like you said, with the Austria thing. But I also think it's entirely possible that, you know, in, in a game like against Austria, I could see someone like Soderblom being the one to really rack up the points because you add skill to his size against the Austrian team. It wouldn't shock me if he has a, a big night against Austria. And I, and I do expect that as the game gets bigger, I've written this about Raymond, the farther they go, I think the better he's going to be. That's just kind of the the trend of his career as he seems to rise to big moments. I could see him having a really nice game against the U.S., Canada, Russia, Finland, any of those teams. Um, so I'm right there with you about that. I also think um, you know someone like Albert Johansson, I'm interested to see how he comes in scoring wise. He had an assist in the first game, secondary assist. Um, he didn't jump off the ice to me. I mean, his skating always stands out, but you know, I thought there were at least two or three Swedish defensemen who who stood out more. Certainly, Broberg uh, at the top of that list. Um, but I, I think if you're looking at Johansson and you're saying, you know, four points in the tournament, I think would be a success for him. Anything above that, you're you're pretty happy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think part of the reason why he didn't jump out was he wasn't really the guy exiting the zone yep. with the puck. You know, with with his defensive pairing, he wasn't the guy rushing the puck out of the zone. Um, and so that kind of limits how much you really focus and kind of key in on him. I think he maybe had four attempted zone exits in the game, if I'm remembering uh, correctly, just taking a look. So that that's going to be tougher uh, to evaluate. But I think in his case, again, 
similar to, uh, you know, Raymond, I'm looking for that solid two-way play, looking for him to jump up into the uh, play appropriately. If he is, you know, if the pairings do get shuffled around and he's the guy that's making the rush out, making sure he's making that good first pass out. And then, you know, if he if he's getting power play minutes, again, he's another guy that has a good shot, good passer as well. Uh, so I, I think four points uh, in a seven-game period is probably a reasonable projection for him. My temptation is to go around the same number for Niederbach. I may give him a slight bump up to five, put the over-under at five and a half points in, in a seven-game period for Niederbach, just knowing, again, they still have Austria on the schedule. I think his line with Soderblom, if they stay together, I actually think that could be the line that really scores against Austria. Not because I think they're a better line, just it seems like matchup-wise, that combination of size, skill, what have you, um, you figure Austria is going to throw everything they have at trying to stop the Raymond Holtz line, and at some point, that leaves you thin other places. So I guess I'll take five, but maybe I should go higher, and I'll I'll say Soderblom, I think he can get to six in, in seven games, maybe seven in seven games. Yeah, that's a, you, you are very ambitious and much more so than I am. I think I'd peg kind of Niederbach uh, and Soderblom around that four or five range. Um, granted, Soderblom already has two and Niederbach has one. So, you know, I think I, I don't know that Soderblom is going to be as effective I don't think once you get past Austria. I agree. Now, but I just think that could be a huge one. It, it very well could be. I mean, especially because if they're going to, you know, blow them out of the water and they're going to roll four lines evenly and Soderblom gets a lot of minutes like he did in his first game. Uh, he absolutely could put up a lot of points. Uh, no, no greater really value. Or, I mean, really, the, when you're looking at these World Junior games, the the difference in size. This is probably where you have the biggest difference where it actually yes. matters. Like you know, being six foot eight and being able to manhandle you know other eighteen, nineteen year olds. Uh, that's something Soderblom can easily do, and it really shows up here. Uh, so you know, potentially he has a huge game against Austria, but I still see maybe four or five for him. And I see maybe four or five for Niederbach. I think this is kind of the, you know, weak spot for team Sweden, if you will, is that depth down the center. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I like the U S team a little bit more. Uh, but we'll see. Cause if they're able, you know, it's really whoever's playing with Holtz and Raymond, you got to find a way to get them the puck yep. at five on five and let them do their thing. And, you know, this first game, I thought it worked out fine. The second game against Austria, we'll see what they do. But when the going gets tough against Canada, the U.S., and Russia, how, you know what is that pivot going to do? And if that pivot's Niederbach, then yeah, you may end up with a lot of points there. I don't know that it will be, and so I'm going to kind of stick with four or five for Niederbach. Yeah, I, I feel like I should rationalize this pick here because it's certainly not the case. You, you, I guess you could maybe interpret from from hearing me say, you know, about eight points for Raymond. Uh, and about six for Soderblom that I think they're comparable as prospects. I don't think that's remotely the case. I'm just trying to kind of, you know, this isn't necessarily an, an, a, you know, I don't think a model would spit out this for you, for example. It's not something that is is rooted in, in hard uh, hard analysis. It's just kind of gut feeler, almost like a almost like a gambler instinct of like, okay, if Soderblom's got two, and I think he gets two or three against Austria by virtue of that size mismatch, I'm really only picking him to get one or two points the whole rest of the tournament, you know, and those can be ticky tack or whatever. And, and same deal for Niederbach. I think he's got one point. If I think he gets one or two against Austria, I'm really only picking him to get two or three the rest of the tournament. So that's kind of where it's coming from. And I, I think Raymond gets better the, the later it gets. And I think you can rely on him more in the, in the elimination rounds for, for the scoring. So don't take that to mean I think those guys are like, 
you know, suddenly in the tier of prospects who it's, it's entirely possible that Quinton Byfield gets like six points in this tournament. And I'm not saying that, uh, Soderblom is even in the same sentence as someone like Quinton Byfield, who I think is going to be a superstar in the NHL for a long time. Um, it's just kind of reading the, the matchup, reading the schedule, reading what's already on paper and saying, I could see it go like this. Uh, but you know, I still don't think actually either Niederbach or Soderblom is in the top five for me of Red Wings prospects, though. I do think Niederbach has the upside to get there. I just don't think it, you know, at this point I'm ready to kind of declare that if that makes sense. That's fair. I mean, I I am 100% team Niederbach, but you know, we'll see, we'll see if this is his moment uh, to, to really shine and kind of take that next step or if it's going to be another time. Uh, you know, I thought he was going to get the run with Raymond and Holtz in the first game based on how they went, uh, in, in kind of practice, but maybe it's this next one. And if it, they have a monster game, maybe it sticks. So we'll see. Well, and the fact that Raymond and Holtz didn't go gangbusters on the score sheet, maybe, maybe Sweden starts to look to, to change things up, to get them more involved. I also think you could argue that maybe Sweden looks at it and says, Hey, we just won seven to one without our two big guns, you know, doing a whole lot on the score sheet. I think they were both pretty impactful on the ice. And as you mentioned, the ex- expected points there, uh, maybe they say, Hey, we really have the recipe is what that means because we're, we're, we're running up the score without having to rely on our, our top 10 picks to do it. Um, do we want to make a prediction for, for Vero or is, are we just kind of resolved that it's really just more important to see what he does D zone wise? Yeah, I think that's probably it. I mean, there's a solid chance that he finishes with the same amount of points as Jan Bednar, um, and that's fine. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I have a hard time really projecting points, uh, and I should kind of offer the disclaimer that points are a terrible evaluating they tool, are. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is all we have right now, yeah. and so that's what we're going to use. Uh, and, and so, you know, who's, who's to say where he finishes? I don't know, maybe one or two points, I think is probably a fair guess. Yeah, don't take these uh, point predictions out of context to be, you know, indicators of really anything but uh, a, a shot in the dark here. I don't think they have really any long-term implications on what either of us think of of these guys as prospects, for better or for worse. You know, I, I might be picking a big tournament for one guy, and that'd be Soderblom in this case, that I could very well see a world in which he never plays an NHL game. I just think, based on watching one game of how he played at this level... Um, you know, I could see a, a highly productive tournament there. So any, any final thoughts before we let people go, obviously training camp begins this week uh, on Thursday. So we'll be back with you guys uh, soon with, with obviously reaction from the first day of that comments on what we've heard and, and certainly what I've seen from being in there. Uh, Prashant, anything we want to leave everybody with? No, I mean, it's going to be a, a busy season, a lot of back to backs, really a condensed schedule. So I guess best thing is buckle up and, and let's see how it goes. All right. Well, that sounds good to me too. I hope everyone had a great holiday uh, and has enjoyed some downtime because it's about to get real busy real fast. So hang in there uh, and enjoy the rest of uh, the holiday season leading up to New Year's and take care. 